Our Future Now is produced by Goal 17 Media, storytellers for the common good. And I think that's when change happens, is when you're pushing it. Because the status quo wants you to play by their rules. Like, they can accommodate activism that comes to them in the format that they expect. everyone, I'm Natalie Meebane, and I'm the co-founder and vice president of public policy and government relations of the National Children's Campaign. Hi, I'm Jonah Gottlieb, and I'm the co-founder and executive director of the National Children's Campaign. Welcome to Our Future Now. On today's episode, we're telling stories from our lives in the movement and our favorite memories of working together to fight for a better world. We're joined today by Jamie Henn the co-founder of the International Climate Organization, 350.org, and currently the director of Fossil Free Media. So welcome, Jamie. We are so happy to have you here today. Ah, thanks for having me. Jamie, I know you have been doing this work for a super long time. What made you build what you built? Because you built something with your friends and your professor that has changed the world. I first got involved in climate activism um, really in college, uh, in sort of the early 2000s, which were these days when like there really wasn't much of a national or international student youth movement that was focused on these issues. There were like a campaign here and there, but none of it had really quite come together. And so while I was at school in Vermont at Middlebury College, um, a lot of those efforts started bubbling up. Like people started having regional youth climate convenings. There were, these were the early days of the Energy Action Coalition, which went on to become PowerShift and a lot of other work now. And so we started just getting involved. I'd been working on other issues like fair trade and global justice, and I'd always been interested in those things. Um, and climate just seemed to be the issue of the day that nobody was talking about back then. I mean, it was just like most environmental organizations you know, maybe had a global warming program or something, but didn't, it wasn't the focus of that work. This was still a pretty new issue. Um, so we got sucked in with a lot of young people who were doing activism and got involved in a variety of different campaigns. We had no idea what we were doing, uh, you know, we're just trying to cause trouble on campus and across the country. Um, and around the same time, Bill McKibben, this environmental writer who wrote the first book on global warming back in the late 1980s and been a journalist on the issue, he was really looking to get more involved in activism. I think he was realizing that just putting words on the page wasn't creating the type of change that he wanted to see. And so he reached out to us as he was a scholar in residence at Middlebury. So he's kind of like a quasi professor. He would teach a class here and there. And so he reached out to us as like the students on campus who were causing trouble and maybe knew how to build a website or two um, and said, let's start working together. And so we helped organize this first big national day of action on climate change in 2007 called Step It Up. Um, and it just took off. I mean, we put out this call to action for people to organize events and rallies in their towns um, across the country. And uh, I think everybody had just been waiting to do something on climate, like an inconvenient truth to come out, but nobody was really organizing people in a, the sense of a movement. And so this day of action completely took off for 1,400 events, all 50 states. It got on the front page of the New York Times, CNN, lots of coverage. And suddenly we had like 60,000 people on an email list, which was like a lot of people back in 2007. And so things really grew from there. And that same spirit of kind of putting out calls to action, giving people a way to take part in a really distributed manner, being super open source about it so that everybody could find a way to do something creative, to bring their skills and energies to the movement. 
that was really a spirit that kind of continued through 350 and took that same model to the global level. And then, you know, the rest is just a lot of wild stories on a roller coaster wow. that we've been I- together. You know, Jamie, hearing you kind of reminisce a bit about how you got started, like you were just putting on events. You weren't, you didn't necessarily even have an angle, an end game of what you were going to do. You were just doing what you felt like was necessary, being a young climate activist. And then luckily you meet, you know, this like, I mean, your story of meeting Bill was probably a little cooler. Like I just met him outside taping a windmill, but like you met him as a you know teacher in your school. And then you guys built this together. And just knowing that like, you didn't necessarily have an end game and an end goal of what you were creating. You were just doing it because it was necessary. And you got, like you said, with energy action coalition, that's how I got started. Energy action coalition going to the first ever power shift in 2007. And Bill McKibben was a speaker. I feel like to me, that's where I feel like I started in this work because I had just finished school and wasn't sure what to do. And I knew that I would find my path and power shift really helped direct me to like that next step. So that's kind of neat that we, we kind of started at the same time and with a similar path of how we came in. So when I was in D.C. for that lobby week back in March 2019, when, you know, I met Natalie, I met Bernie, we brought 200 people to the Capitol. We visited all 541 offices in three days. And so we were just, I was dead. I had pulled like two straight all-nighters after a red eye and just writing speeches and planning all these panels and stuff. And so I remember the second day of the event, I had just moderated like four hours of panels and then... I'm going in to Bernie Sanders' office. And so we had reached out to all the 2020 candidates. He was the only 2020 candidate who was a member of Congress that wanted to meet with us. And it was a super busy week on the Hill. And he was on his coming in to meet with us on his lunch break because he was in hearings all day. And so we show up at his office and we're just talking with his staffer. We're talking to Katie Thomas, who our listeners may have heard at an episode a little while ago. And so if you didn't hear that one, check it out. Um, But we're talking with Katie and she's just like, Bernie's going to come in at any second. You know, he's going to come, come in really quick. And so, and so I'm sitting like, you know, right near the door. um, And my head just keeps dropping onto my shoulder and I just keep just about to fall asleep because I'm listening to, you know, all the kids and I close my eyes, my head's on my shoulder. Um, I'm just ignoring the camera crew. That's like getting all this video footage of me falling asleep in Bernie's office and then the, these double doors just slam open and it's just Bernie Sanders just, hello, hello. And the kid next to me screams. And so I just jolt up. And then the kid across from me shouts, you're my hero. And then Bernie's just like, yeah, I know. Now let's get down to business. So, you know, he just starts talking to us about all the climate shifts, like you people are leading the movement. And just, you know, talking to us. And then he just, he grabs his, you know, salad from a staffer, walks into his office, closes the door, and then he's gone. I mean, I think that's the amazing thing about being in a movement, right? Is you get to connect with so many interesting people. I think that's one of like the most uncelebrated parts of activism in many ways is getting to actually connect and make so many friends like in wild places. I mean, both like activists, people around the world, and then like Senator Sanders, you know, that you get to have those experiences. Um, so I always tell people, I feel like people look at activists and they're like, oh man, like that must be so depressing. Like, how do you work on global warming every day? Like, how do you stare into the abyss? Like, 
it just must be miserable. Like activism looks like the saddest, most depressing thing to do. And in fact, like it is sad and depressing. Like a lot of the time it is super hard. Uh, as Jonah said, like you do spend a lot of all nighters, you kind of burn the candle on both ends, but you get to have these incredible experiences where you get to meet people. So, I mean, that's why it's so fun to be doing this work is you get sucked into these situations where you're like, never thought I'd be doing this, but here we are, you know? Yeah. And I think like you bring up a good point about like the perception that people have of activists and like, it's true. We're facing these problems, you know, every single day in our work, but that's also, I think one of the most rewarding things is we have this purpose that's just driving us. When I was just walking through the halls, just like, bringing, you know, hundreds of young people from around the country into these meetings with elected officials. Like that was the moment that like, I was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like it just hit me just like, this is the thing that my life can be devoted to is just getting young people, you know, the opportunity to be powerful and to use their existing power to make these huge changes. And like, when I look back, like you said, there was a moment where you kind of made a decision where you like, this is what I'm going to do forever. And it just makes me think of, you know, all three of us were together in September of 2019. And I was on the train late. I was late. I listen, I didn't get much sleep. Okay. And I was heading to. You didn't get much sleep. I took a red eye to the White House. You had more sleep than me on that red eye. It was September 13th last year and I'm on the Metro and I'm on my way. And yes, I know I'm late and I'm getting all these text messages, right? People are like, Natalie, we're here. I'm like, great information. Thank you for telling me. And then finally you text me a picture, Jonah, it's a selfie and you're like, Hey, and it's you, Jamie Hen, and a few other activists. And you guys were all together in this picture and you were like, Hey, we found Jamie Hen. Right. And I just get this amazing selfie of y'all. I'm like, okay, I feel good. Jamie's on the ground. He has it. We're good. We're going to do this march, this strike. This was the strike in DC with Greta Thunberg. And that week, that was like, if I ever have to reminisce on a week, that week and everything leading up to it, that was a week. I mean, it was more than a week, but it was like, I have to say this, that was the busiest, most exhausting, and also the most fulfilling week of my, I might say life slash career. Like, I felt like I had attempted everything that I'd ever wanted to do for work in one week. Yeah, no, I love hearing that. I mean, I think that, you know, I've always sort of had this saying, and I'll uh, I'll do a PG-13 version of it, but like, we sort of had the saying of like, it's going to be a mess, but it's going to be great. And I think that that's been mostly my attitude towards a lot of activism. I think that if you get too concerned about everything going perfectly according to plan, or you only make a plan where you know you can control every element of it, you're just not going to be able to do the big transformative, disruptive stuff that you need to do. I mean, there's no way to map from A to Z how you create a movement to solve the climate crisis. Like anybody that tells you they have that perfect theory of change is lying to you. It's not the type of thing you can get down on paper. 
you know, we were booking congressional hearings without being sure if Greta or everybody would be able to show up. Um, you know, we didn't have full control over her schedule. She had her own priorities, which was great. And we also were working with members of Congress who very much expect everybody to run by their book. And Greta ran by her own book, which has made her such a powerful leader in this space. And so being willing to kind of play that game and having someone like you, Natalie, who like knows how to run DC, yes. but is willing to take a risk and set up a meeting with Chuck Schumer, which with a bunch of teenagers and like roll in there and just be like, this is going to be great, but I don't really know how it's going to go. That's what I love about this work. I mean, that's what's so great working with young people. That's what's so great working with activists is like you get to push the envelope. And I think that's when change happens is when you're pushing it because the status quo wants you to play by their rules. Like they can accommodate activism that comes to them in the format that they expect. And so then they get to stay in control. And I think when we get pushed them off into this other space, when we make them a little nervous, when it feels a little wild, when it feels like it has that edge, that's when you actually begin to be able to kind of affect the type of change that we want to see. So that week was the definition of that. I mean, it was like, you know, held together by duct tape and chewing gum, but it somehow worked. Um, and I think that was the week really when Greta herself and the kind of youth climate strike really went to this totally new level. I mean, she was a bit of a celebrity coming into the U.S. and there was some coverage and there had been momentum, but that was the week where it really just completely took it to this kind of global phenomenon that we saw a few weeks later. And I think that week is just a really great example of just adults taking risks on kids. Like, Jamie, you had no reason to trust Natalie other than, you know, you knowing Natalie when she said, hey, I'm going to bring all these teenagers in to meet Speaker Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and AOC. And, you know, they're just going to talk about these massive strikes they're holding. And you're just like, all right, go for it because that space really isn't created that often for us. And so for you and Natalie to be so intentional about making space for young people to get in the room with some of the most powerful people in the world was just incredible. No, Jonah, it's so, I mean, it's so great to hear that because again, as Natalie and I probably share, like those were the risks that people took on us. And so you get to pass that on. And like, I love that. I mean, I think that that's, that's kind of the work that, means the most to me is trying to create those opportunities for people. Um, and it doesn't always go according to plan. Like things can get messed up and you sometimes, you know, things don't always go exactly right. But the payoff is so huge because again, if you're just doing it by the book, if you have the same old speakers, if it's all adults, like it, it doesn't have the power. That's not how movements get done. It never has been. And I think that that's something that I always try and remind myself of and hold on to um, and really admire the work that you all are doing. And just like Natalie, you're, the time that you spend working with youth, with you know, children's campaign, with Zero Hour, with everybody is so powerful because it helps keep those connections tied together. And then it helps open up the space for these incredible things like the global climate strike. Jamie, I want to thank you so much for joining us here today. You know, we're really happy that you could be here with us. Is there anything that you'd want to leave our listeners with? Any final thoughts on, on a message that you want to tell them? Well, thanks for having me. I mean, this has been super fun. It was great to be with you guys. You know, I think my final message would be for people 
to really dream big and then just go for it. Like get started. I think the hardest part about activism is sometimes taking that first step. Um, so don't feel like you have to be perfectly prepared. Don't feel like you need to know what you're doing. Don't worry about having all the talking points perfectly down. Uh, it is so much better to get into the mix and join this fight and get active um, than it is to sit on the sidelines. As always, we are in the midst of our Vote for Our Future campaign. If you're interested in attending a virtual Vote for Our Future event, you can go to vote4ourfuture.org slash events, voteforourfuture.org slash events. And if you want to join our team, you can go to tinyurl.com slash teamncc and join our fight on behalf of America's children. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Our Future Now. Our Future Now is produced by Goal 17 Media, storytellers for the common good. We would like to give a special thanks to our media partners, Parentology. I'm Natalie Mebane. And I'm Jonah Gottlieb. And we'll see you next time on Our Future Now. Now.